you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. From chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that, they may, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Picking up in 9 verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Harry. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good to see you. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father, as we come uh, to your word in this moment, we ask that as we ask week by week and day by day that you would provide what we need from it. Lord, you own everything. We need everything. So Lord, we ask that as your word is open now, that our hearts would be soft, um, that we'd have ears to hear, that I'd be able to um, put forward clearly what is in your word. Help us by your spirit, Lord. Stir us up, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, you probably got a sense of what this passage is about, and this is one of the passages that in the Bible that have very two, two very clear different perspectives on them. All right, so if you're, if you're the church member, the church Christian, you go, ah, oh, this is what it was coming to. This is what it's all about, isn't it? This is what it's all, you, you take away everything, and it's about this. It's about money. My money that the church wants. Why does it have to come to this? And what are they going to do this time? Buy a helicopter or something? You know, like, ah, these verses are in the Bible. I wish they weren't there. You kind of think that. I know. I've been on this side of the perspective, right? But let me tell you, it becomes very different when you become a full-time Christian worker or you become a pastor. You go, oh, yeah, we've had a bit of a budget challenge these last six months. And 2 Corinthians 8, could it be any better? Oh, this is going to be guilt manipulating, contorting, you know, the the coffers will be flooded, the church budget will be met. And this could spring us forward into our new initiative for 2023 City on a Hill Indulgences. Have you heard of these? I don't know if you know about indulgences. We've got a special certificate just for you. If you contribute to the MTS work, we're going to sign this off. It'll have Bob Pianto's signature on it saying that your sins are not only forgiven, but you can actually get people out of hell uh, by signing, by, by giving this amount of money, getting that certificate, and let, did I tell you that it's all tax deductible? So you just need to give by the end of financial... You see what I mean? There's different perspectives, and they're both the extremes that I shared. They're both miserably, terribly mistaken. Because as we come to this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's one word that Paul uses eight times. Eight times in two chapters... Do you know what that word is? Any, did anyone pick up that word that came again and again in the two readings? Grace. It's the word charis in Greek. Grace. That wonderful word which we know is so, if you're a Christian here, it's all about grace. God's unmerited kindness and favor and love and generosity to you. That's, that's grace. Paul uses this word grace to refer to giving. And we're going to look at that in three parts uh, this morning, these two chapters, three parts. We're going to look at the grace of God at work in Macedonia. Then we're going to look at the grace of giving. And then we're going to finish up by looking at the grace of Jesus Christ. So three things, two chapters. First point, the grace of God at work in Macedonia. Now, the context to which Paul is writing these two chapters is he's on a mercy fundraising campaign. So what has happened is, is that the church in Jerusalem, made of uh, mostly Jewish believers, is going through a really tough time financially. There's been a huge famine. Um, It's causing terrible impact. And so Paul is on a mission drive. He's like a many rooms campaign. And his goal is to raise a lot of money and to take that to relieve the pain and the suffering that's going on in the Jewish church in Jerusalem. So he begins in, in chapter 8, verse 1, by saying, We want you to know, brothers, 
That's to the Corinthian church he's writing about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the churches of Macedonia, it would include the church of Philippi, the led to the Philippians, and the church of Thessalonica, led to the Thessalonians. And he begins by talking about the grace of God, he says, which has taken place in their churches. Now, maybe a little bit of a, a, an analogy, not going to fit perfectly, but it might help. So let's say that within the City on a Hill movement, the poor Queenslanders, which we saw at the start, they've got an epidemic of some terrible thing. Let's say it's sunburn, right? And, um, and they're in real trouble with their sunburn. And so uh, Guy Mason, as the senior uh, pastor, senior minister of the City on a Hill churches, the 10 different churches, he, he comes and uh, he's, he's getting a, a mercy collection to to get those Queenslanders out of trouble. And he comes to us here in Geelong and he says, I want to tell you about the grace of God in Whittington. And you go, why am I making that analogy? Well, let me show you. It's not perfect, but you'll see where I'm going. 8 verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, it's the churches in Macedonia, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. You, you see the comparison? Uh, Paul's saying that he's gone to the churches of Macedonia, which are financially struggling. He talks about their extreme poverty. They're doing it tough, unlike the church in Corinth, which is doing well. And he says, I want to tell you about the grace of God, what he did in those struggling churches. And his point is they have begged Paul to be a part of this giving campaign and said, please let us contribute to it. We really want to do that. And Paul is using their example um, of, a, of a struggling church, a financially strapped church to go to the church in Corinth, which as you might remember, was well off and wealthy. And he's saying, I want to talk about the grace of God in that church in Macedonia, how they gave so generously. That's the grace of God we see at work in Macedonia. But the question you might have is, why were they begging to be allowed to give? You know, why, why were they pleading with Paul out of their poverty saying, we want to be able to contribute to this mercy work? Well, that's the second one. It's because of the grace of giving. It's eight, chapter 8, verse 7. But as you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Uh, some translations will say in this grace of giving. Paul's saying to these the Corinthians are a competitive bunch. Uh, they're always competing and comparing and all sorts of things. And, and he's saying, Are you great in faith and speech and knowledge, love? but excel in this grace too, this grace of giving. So why is giving called a grace? It's not the word that you and I would perhaps choose to, um, to describe financial giving, but he calls it a grace two reasons, I think, a few reasons at least, actually. First, because when we give our financial resources to God and to others, we show grace to other people. That's that's pretty clear in one say. If you give financially, you show grace to someone else. It was, it was your money that you had stewardship of and you gave it away to God or to other people and by doing that, you showed them 
grace, unmerited favour, kindness, love. Um, I first learned of this grace of giving when I was 18 years old. Um, I joined the army uh, the month after my 18th birthday. I went to the army and I went to the local church that I became a part of in Canberra. And early on, there was a, it was probably Sukhra and things, I don't know what it was, but um, there was this teaching on giving and I was like, oh, okay. And then, then I asked all the questions. Well, giving to God and his church, how much do I have to do? You know, like what's, what's the rules? You know, tell me I want some guidance. And 10%, I was like, 10% of like, is that pre-tax or post-tax? You know, asking all these kind of questions that you have um, when you're 18. But it was God's word, I thought. And so when I was 18, year old, 18 years old, I began to contribute in the grace of giving, um, to, specifically in, to the church, to the work of God and his people. And um, as I did that, <clears throat> over the years, um, I've never had a, a fantastically, you know, like high salary, but throughout those years, I've given that amount of money. It's 32 years now, and it adds up. Um, I once was, um, about 20 years ago, actually, I was, I was sitting in the, in the, the, the I was working in an army uh, headquarters in a company office. The major was in the room next door, and the three of us captains were there, and we were working away. I think we were writing reports on, on, uh, on our cadets or our, or our trainees, and, um, and one of the captains, he goes, Grilzy, you're a Christian. He said, yeah, you know I'm a Christian, Chris. And he said, all right, well, are you into all this giving stuff? Like, are you actually giving your money to the church? I went like, yeah, that's part of the deal. He says, well, how much are you giving? I was like, Chris, this is kind of private. You know, like, you know, and he said, no, no, I just, it's a question. I really want to know. I've heard 10%. Are you giving 10%? I went, yeah. I said, yes. And I went, all right. And then then all goes quiet and we go back to our work on the computer. And then he goes, Grilzy. I went, yes, Chris. He said, like, I've done some sums. I've gone back historically for the last 10 years and I've called up your annual salary packet for the last 10 years. I've done the sums. You have already probably, you've got to figure out what you would have done if you'd invested it properly and other stuff. But I reckon you've given $100,000. You could have had a home with that. That's crazy. I was saying, Chris, can we just change the topic here? But, But... it's interesting, and that was like 20 years ago, and if you contribute a percentage of your, of your giving to God and his work over a period of time, it mounts up. And let me tell you, I have never, ever regretted that grace of giving, giving to God and his people through his church. Now, I, I don't see that this side of eternity, but I know that for those years as, as an income, uh, for those 20 years in the army, you know, giving to the various churches I was a part of, I know that went to sustain gospel ministry, uh, to pay the needs of the people that were feeding me uh, from the front, but also in, in all the other, the, the life of the church, through raising up new gospel workers, through giving compassionately into the communities in which I was a part. Um, and I pray and believe that my dollars over those years, when it all revealed in eternity, will have contributed an investment in something that will have changed at least one person's life for eternity. Actually, I actually think it'll be a lot more. I don't regret it for a moment. But then soon after when I was 18 as well, like again in the church, it came up again and, uh, and there was another topic of giving and then, and then it was about offerings. <laughs> I was like, well, that's the same thing as, as the tithe in the Old Testament. And like, no, actually it's not. It was tithes and offerings. Your tithe was your 10% that you gave to the work of God and the temple in the Old Testament and the offerings is what comes on top of that. And I was like, so, so it's more? <laughs> it's like... It's a matter of your heart, Andrew. You know what? You, you know. So, 
I wrestled with that for a little while. I thought, okay, I can see where this is going. Um, but there's things that I give to outside the church community, like into the community and around and to other things that are also really good things and I should give. So um, I started as an 18-year-old sponsoring a, a little girl called Marcelina through Compassion. Uh, she was five years old at the time. And um, for me, it was a big deal. I think it was 40 bucks a month at that time. Uh, and I started sponsoring her and that has been the most incredible grace. Uh, a long time ago now, um, she grew up and went into full-time ministry uh, in Indonesia somewhere. Um, and since then, in the years that have followed, and that's 32 years as well, almost, we've had a whole string of foster kids that our family have been able to connect with through compassion and then to, to send out. I had one opportunity where I saw the grace of giving so clearly was that I got to go uh, to visit one of our sponsored children in, in Thailand. And uh, I knew that my or our giving then had, had changed her life. But what shocked me was that it had hadn't only changed her life, it had changed the life of her entire village. Uh, when we went to her village, not just to her village, like I felt like I was Bill Gates just given $2 billion to something. And, and I walked into this village and I'm, I, you know, I'm this amazing philanthropist and the whole village is gathered there to welcome. And it was just, it was just like, oh my goodness. You know, I've hardly thought of that money. It's a direct debit. You know, over the years, it just, it just goes out. But here, God has used the grace of giving to change people's lives, to make an investment. And so he speaks about the grace of giving is that your money actually provides the grace of God to other people. It's a grace. And Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive because you see that grace of God at work. So, so that's the first reason because there's a grace of giving that goes to other people. But the second reason is, is more personal still. Uh, the grace of giving is a grace to you because Giving, this area of finances or hip pockets, it, it reveals our hearts. And Paul makes that clear in chapter 8, verse 8. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So he's referring to the fact that he's comparing, he's saying this is what's happening in the Macedonian churches. They're poor, they're giving so exceptionally generously. He says, I want to show, I want you to be able to prove that your love is also genuine. That's the real thing. So, um, I mean, it's a good question to ask, isn't it? To say, is my love genuine? And if you came to me, Pastor, and you said, Andrew, like, I, I don't know, is my love genuine? Is my love for God genuine? Am, am I a real Christian? Well, there'd be a lot of ways that I could, a number of different areas I could take you to, to, to look at Scripture and say, okay, this is an indication is if your love for God is genuine and your love for others. One of the things that I wouldn't do, but I could do, is say, all right, you know, bring me your bank statements for the last 12 months. Uh, don't worry, I would never do that in person. But, but if I did, and, and you provided them, and I looked through those bank statements, I could say, well, let's see if your love is genuine or not. And we go through and say, okay, so you know, how, how, does, how does that love outwork in your finances and in your, in your bank statement? And if at the end of the day, it was pretty clear that all of your income or nearly all of it was getting spent on you, say, well, I think this is a hard problem here. That, that you're, 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 you spend so much on yourself and so little on God and other people. Is your love genuine? 
I'd say that your bank statement says that it's probably not. And your faith also, which you think is genuine, maybe that is not as genuine as you think it is. Now, Please don't email me at this point, because I know there are some people, right, someone will, but there are, I'm not saying that everybody should always give to God and to others all the time. There are some people that probably should not give anything, at least financially. But let me tell you that they're a very tiny minority in Australia. Yes, there are some people for whom, you know, they're, they're on the breadline, literally. This, Paul's saying this is not a command. Not, not an enforcing, you've got to do this, it's legalism, it's rules. But the reality is very few of us are in that situation. And our giving does reveal our hearts. It does reveal the genuineness of our faith. And if you're inclined not to be generous with your giving, then your heart has not only got some trouble, but you are missing out. Not only on the grace of God as it works in others' lives, but you're missing out more, even more personally still. Um, in chapter 8, verse 10... Paul says this, and in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you. So he's talking about the giving and he's, he's raising money for this campaign. He says, your giving will benefit yourself. It benefits you. And he gives us some of his logic in verse 14. And his logic here is a little bit hard to understand, I think. He says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. So he's saying we're raising money for the Jerusalem church so that one day, at the moment they're in need, so we're gonna help them out, but one day they're gonna be, uh, have abundance and you're gonna be in need and then they'll help you out. So if we think about the example of, of Whittington I used before, so is that saying like, um, in the, six months ago, we raised $84,000. You, you gave $84,000. We gave it to Whittington to, to bless that new church work, to particularly help fix their roof that had asbestos stuff and all in it. So is it going to say that one day, um, our roof is going to be in trouble and then we'll, we'll uh, tap Whittington on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, can you fix our roof? You know, is that, I don't think that that's in Paul's heart here. I, I think he's talking, there's a, there's a spiritual reality I think he's talking about, that the joy of the church in Jerusalem is somehow in a spiritual sense going to overflow into their hearts and it will benefit them. In some way, and maybe we don't understand how this works, that, that when we give financially, we don't just bless others but, and, and we don't show grace to others, but the grace they receive flows back into our hearts as well. So, and... Look, he goes on again. This is also a bit tricky, I find, to understand, but I'll read it to you. 13 to 15. By their approval of this service, they'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying you're submitting to God because you, you, you confess the gospel of Jesus so God will get glory and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others Listen to this, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Uh, I don't know if you know, um, it's interesting, but in medieval times and, and actually reasonably recently, if you were a person of means and substance and you were a Christian, um, you would often offer part-time jobs for people to pray for you. Did you know that? 
It's, it's a weird thing for us to imagine. It's like someone sits exams and say, look, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've come into a bit of money and um, I've got five part-time jobs, 20 bucks an hour, uh, five hours a week, and I've got my prayer list and I want you to be praying for me for those five hours a week and, and I'll give you the money to pay. Now, in the economy of God, I've got va- very serious doubts about the efficiency of paying people to pray for you. Maybe you think it's a good idea. You look pretty convinced. But it's, it's certainly theologically dubious, but it used to happen a lot because people were going like, I, I got a lot of needs and you know, I'm too busy to pray, so I'm going to pay someone else uh, to do the job for me. Not sure. But do you notice what Paul says here? He says, while they long for you and pray for you. So Paul's saying, when the, when the, when the Christians in Jerusalem, they get, they get the gift that is sent that, that eases their, their poverty and gives them food on the table and changes their circumstances, their response is going to be, give glory to God and pray for the people that did it. And if you're a scoffer here, you'll go like, so you're, you're saying that when I give to others, it sparks their prayers for me and who cares? A few people praying to some God because I've given money, like as if that's going to have any impact. But if you're not a scoffer, if you know the power of God and you know the power of prayer, just imagine what it is when we give and we give of our resources to others. It affects them in all sorts of different ways and they pray for us. Lord, bless them. Thank you. Thank you for their generosity and what they did. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. I mean, only in heaven will we see the impact of those prayers. Paul says, it benefits you because people are gonna give praise to God, glory to God. They're also gonna pray for you. But he goes on and he gets even more direct how it benefits them, the Corinthians, as they give. Chapter nine, verse six this time. This is where he gets specific. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, it's an agricultural metaphor. And the idea is that you can imagine a field, it's, it's all plowed up, um, the, the soil is, is moist and tender, and, uh, and there's two different kind of farmers. Uh, the first farmer is the sparing farmer. He's got his packet full of seed, and in, in that time, what you would do, you'd have your handful, you'd, just, you'd throw it out. You didn't have direct drilling like we do now. You'd throw it out. And you, this, this farmer is economical, and he's careful, and he sees the seeds, and he goes, these are my seeds. Why should I just throw them out willy-nilly? I'm gonna be very careful with these seeds. And he, he puts them one by one in the furrows. As he says, see, I'm using carefully and economically what I've got. And the Bible would say, you fool. Don't you know that there's a direct relationship between the amount that you sow and the amount that you reap? You're a fool. And then contrasting, you can imagine the second farmer, he takes out from what is his and the seed in his packet and he just throws it out everywhere. And the other farmer's going, you're so wasteful. You're just throwing all your stuff everywhere. And the other farmer's going, yeah, but I know something you don't. And he throws and throws and throws. And then, of course, when it comes times for the harvest, what you reap is always in direct proportion with what you sow. This farmer gets far more in his hands than he had to begin with. This is Paul's counterintuitive kingdom logic. You, you, you try and sow sparingly because you think it's all yours and you can't, then you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow generously with what God has entrusted to you, you'll reap generously. That's the kingdom counterintuitive law. 
Now, this has often been taken by some and twisted, I think, into what we call the prosperity gospel, which says that God is like one of those machines at the car washes. Have you been to them? You know, you, you're like me, you, you know, in the car wash and you haven't got enough coins and you've got the $10 note or whatever and you put it in, it's always wrinkled, it never goes in, but eventually it does. And then, you know, instead of getting the $2 coins equaling 10, which you'd normally get in the economy of God, you put in the $10 and out comes a shiny new 20. And it's not just like that with money. You just give more to God and you get more. It, it's a, that's, what, that's what the Bible's teaching, isn't it? Well, no. Uh, because to, you know, we know that in Paul's case, he was exceedingly generous and he was exceedingly poor. Uh, the Thessalonians and the and, um, Philippians at that time were also going through poverty despite their generosity. It's too simple to say that God is the coin machine slot. And it's also unhelpful because it, it, it makes it out as if that's the main thing that you worship God, so you get money. But God is, God is a person worthy of love, who loves us and changes us. It's, money's just a small thing, but it, I've done the caveat, but that's also how it works most of the time. Like the prosperity guys have got a point. It works that way most of the time. If you sow financially generously with others, you give generously, then you will reap generously most of the time. That's how it normally works. Stingy people think that they're hoarding their wealth and they usually end up not. Generous people give generously and see God give generously in return. It's a kingdom law. But notice it's, it's not a, a question of the amount either. Uh, 8 verse 12 says, for if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So we, we know this. Jesus, you'd know the example of the, of the widow putting the two little coins into the temple treasury and, and the rich man tipping in the gold things. And Jesus saying, yes, yeah, she gave more than he did. Two little coins because she gave all she had to live on. It, it's, it's a matter of the heart. Um. And 7-Eleven makes it even clearer. It says, each one of you must give as he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. It's talking about a matter of heart. There's a, any, anyone here of Scottish descent? <laughs> a couple of you. Now, um, there's a story. It's a true story, apparently. Um, Kent Hughes, one of the Bible commentators, tells it. It was about a church in Edinburgh. And during the collection, you know, the old days, you'd, you'd pass the collection thing around and, um, and one, uh, one Scott reached into his purse and intended to pull out a penny, um, but realized he'd actually put a gold sovereign uh, in, into the collection basket and he was, he was upset and he, he quietly tried to remedy the situation with the usher, um, winced again, I need the, and, and the usher said in true Scott's form, I, I'm tempted to do the accent, but I can't, he, he said, um, what did he say, in once... In forever. I guess wrong. That's terrible. Forget it. And, uh, and the giver, the giver going, oh, well, you know, at least I'll get credit for it in heaven. And the usher said, nope, you'll get credit for only a penny. <laughs> and he's right. You get credit only for what you intended to give. You accidentally gave 50 times that, but you get the credit for what is in your heart, whether it's little or whether it's much. And Paul goes on to say there in verses 9, uh, so chapter 9, verse 8, he said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having 
all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Saying you give generously, God gives back to you. He's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And then, then this promise, why it benefits you. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Benefits other people, the grace of giving, it benefits you. Um, Which is actually why um, I I should never come or no one speaking here about the needs of the church should ever try to make you feel guilty or should try to manipulate you or should, should promise. I spoke about indulgences, which is the most historically it was a collection if you gave money for the the restoration of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome then then you would get a certificate saying that your loved ones who are in hell were released the church did this or some parts of the church horrible it's completely against the spirit Um, what I need to do is present to you the truth that if you're stingy you'll in the end hurt yourself more than anybody else if you hold on to your money and you keep it all for yourself, there's a heart problem. It's like an ECG reveals there's a, something going on in your heart. So that's something that you need to be aware of. If you'd think, actually, that's me, I look through my bank statement, there's not much. There's something in your heart that's wrong and you need to fix it. And as a church leader, I need to say that. Otherwise, in one sense, your suffering is on your head because oh, he never told me. I thought it was... But on the other sense, we should never be guilting or never trying to manipulate. And some churches and some Christians do this, and maybe the motives are good, but the action itself is, is never appropriate. We don't want to talk about money too little, but we don't want to talk about money too much. Cheerful giver. Deciding in your heart, before God, this is what he wants me to give, then giving it cheerfully. You will surely reap what you sow. So, the grace of God at work in Macedonia, the grace of giving, now finally, the grace of God in Jesus. There's a verse in the middle of Paul's appeal to the Corinthians which uh, should have undone their closed fists, hearts. You, maybe they were thinking what I've mentioned, we often think, we think, how much do I really have to give? What's the minimum that I could get by on? Does it have to be? Pre-tax, could post-tax, can I do it pre-tax? You know, like, do I have to, can I, can I just give tax deductibly? Um, and if I could somehow cast some doubts on my church, that they do something that I don't quite agree with, then I don't, have to, I don't have to give anymore because I'm angry about them about something. You know, there's all sorts of little ways that you can do it. And then I think Paul just lands this knockout blow. I mean, if their hearts were in any way soft, th- this would have undone them. Look what he says. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you're genuinely a Christian, and I know most of us are, I'm not trying to cast doubts on your faith, but, but if you are truly converted, you cannot read that, that verse as Paul applies it to giving and be stingy. 
Paul says, look at Jesus. Did he ask what's the minimum he could give? Was he stingy when he saw, in effect, us in this wicker cage being lowered down into the waters where death and destruction was all we had? And him got like, oh, do I really need to give to save them? And what's the minimum I could give to get him out of the water? Maybe I just pull him up in water and leave him cold. Yeah, but that's, the, the point he's making is that's not Jesus. He, he was rich. He, had, he didn't need anything. He had everything, and he gave everything. First, by coming a baby in Bethlehem, growing up in a backwater country, going through the indignities of human life, which we, we all experience with all of its wrestles, especially in that time and in that place under a, under a foreign occupier. And then most of all, he stretches out his arms and he dies. Gives everything he has to give. His very life on Calvary as a 33-year-old man. Given not for his sake, but for ours. And now the resurrected Je- Jesus needs nothing from us. You know that? You know, sometimes I think we, we think that, that Jesus needs our money. Jesus needs nothing. What Jesus does is gives us the opportunity to, have the, to have receive the grace that he gives us and let that grace flow out into the lives of other people and that outworks through our finances. He gives us the opportunity to be like him in his giving. Jesus sowed so generously and he reaps and will reap so generously. And you know who will reap? Us. This is the grace of giving. So let me conclude. What do you do about this? Well, we search our hearts, don't we? Scripture encourages us. And maybe this morning, Scripture is encouraging you. You can say, I haven't got this together, but I am a generous person. I give freely from what God has given to me. And so maybe this morning, Scripture encourages you, keep doing it. Be a generous, cheerful giver. Give freely to others. I, I just, quick distraction, we, we had a massive funeral here for our brother Eric. Now, many of you will not know him. He, he was often at the 11th service. But, um, but hearing his life of generosity in time to others financially, just hearing it come back from you know, a 79-year-old man, single, and yet this place was packed. There's, there's a cheerful giver. You know, there's an opportunity for us to go, yes, that's what I want to be like. I want to, when I die, I want to have a funeral like Eric's. People say, she, he gave so generously, so freely. But maybe as we look at it, the Bible is also sometimes rebukes us. You know, a rebuke is saying, hey, not right. This is not good. There's a problem. There's a heart the ECG's picked up something in the heart. And if that's you this morning and, and God is pushing on you, please do not listen to the demon or the, the devil's lie. You know what that will be? No, you can sort this out when you've got your mortgage sorted out, when you've got your superation, superannuation balance where you want it to be, when the kids' school fees are paid for, when the car's paid. You can list all these sorts of things. The, the devil will say, you can be generous one day. The Lord Jesus says, you pray about it, decide in your heart what to give, then give it generously because he who sows generously reaps generously. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Don't delay. So be encouraged, but also be exhorted, be be rebuked if necessary, and come back to the Lord Jesus, that example of his giving so freely, 
given to us so freely. And then be like Jesus as we give that grace to others. Not just because we're going to bless them, but also because we're going to receive, but ultimately because it, it's what Christians do. If you've been saved by grace, then grace comes out to others. So I'm going to pray for us. I know money is a hard topic. I don't enjoy speaking about it. Um, I'm going to pray that God's word would sink deep. I'm going to invite the musicians up and we'll close out our time with, with singing. But let's pray together first. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much that you loved the world so much as we sang before that you gave your only son, Jesus. And that Jesus gave everything so that we might be saved. We thank you for grace that we could never have earned our way into salvation, that we could never have given our way to being accepted by you and loved by you. But because of Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection, the debt's paid. Grace. But Father, we pray also that you would help us to understand this grace of giving ourselves as it applies to our money. Help us to be wise in our giving, but to be more than that, to be generous. To give freely as you've given freely to us and to model our lives on that of Jesus. So work in our hearts, Lord, if there's some areas that we know that this is not good in our lives, then Lord, please, for your glory's sake, but also for our good, Help us by your Holy Spirit to make changes there. And so we ask these things this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.